0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm Jamie Bogner. This is podcast episode 239. We're talking remotely to Beth May and Lane Fearing of Roaring Table Brewery. Welcome to the podcast, Beth and Lane. Thank you. This podcast, we were supposed to record it a couple weeks ago when I was up in Chicago and I was holding on, totally sick, not feeling great, but also trying to film videos during the day. Was out in Lake Zurich. Did manage to come out and meet up with you guys and uh, and have some beers in the brewery. Just wasn't feeling up to recording an entire podcast, so we're doing it now remotely. Um, and instead, uh, that night, Lane, you get to put me on the spot and ask me the questions. And
1: uh, <laughs> I, I was very curious. I still am very curious. I, you know, so uh, it's you have an interesting job. I think.
2: Lots of it's questions. A pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it's not a bad job. People ask me how I get this job. And like, well, you just have to um, work for an entire career, meet the right partner to go into business with 25 years into that career find a way to fund your own media business and then struggle at it for five or six years, trying to get to a point where it's sustainable and profitable. And then it's a dream job. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of, I mean, you guys know the story on that, right? You're, oh, yeah. you're a few, you're a few <laughs> years into that, still in that kind of struggle
1: phase, but, uh, yeah. also trying to kind well, of right, move it's like through. that, uh, it's the f- five to 10 year overnight success story that you have to go <laughs> yeah. through, right? Sure. Sure.
0: Um, you know it has nothing to do with all the ground that you laid through all of the previous you know choices and decisions you've made in your career to get to this point where you're capable of these anyway um we had a fun time drinking drinking beers and talking about those kinds of things at the brewery um since then you guys went to uh, i saw you obviously at but uh, in Minneapolis for the Craft Brewers conference, and you walked away with a a medal from the world beer cup
2: we yeah did. we were we were pretty surprised at that for sure I mean, it was a really crazy experience. We entered five beers and we were sitting next to the folks from Revolution and, you know, we both, them and us, we were kind of like anticipating with, you know, with the names that were being called, but trying to realize that, you know, really only 3% of of the entries win anything. And so I had tapped Doug um, and said, hey, it would be really cool if Beth the Cezanne won because it's named after me. And, so, you know, we then we just sat and waited and then it was called and it was uh, we didn't even know what to do. It was so it was crazy.
0: Well, I can just say that the editors and blind review panel of craft beer and brewing knew that that was coming. Um, <laughs> certainly your roaring table uh, or sorry, the tuba solo hazy IPA uh, scored a 99 in the magazine was one of the beers of the year last year um you guys have uh, had a, i think a scored a 95 on your uh, rtb pills and our our logger issue just now clearly making some fantastic beers that are landing well not just with our judges, but also with World Beer Cup judges. In this episode, we're going to dive into how you do that. Um, and I know, Lane, you're very self-effacing about that, and uh, <laughs> so we're going to try to to dive in and find out, you know, figure out some of those decisions that you're making along this production process, along the design, creative, and technical process that uh, is leading and helping make some of these beers as uh, as interesting, as compelling, and as uh, you know, technically well executed as they are. Before we do that, for nearly 30. years, g d Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. G&D stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. G&D also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in-house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real-world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System design experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by our friends at BSG. We all know the best brewing results come from the best ingredients. BSG offers the largest variety of quality ingredients to create outstanding beers. BSG brings the best malt, hops, and additives from around the world to your brew house. Their knowledgeable and dedicated staff comes from the brewing industry, and can assist you in product consultation for your recipe formulation. Contact your dedicated sales or customer support rep or become a customer at bsgcraft.com slash be a customer. So, we normally start off with a little bit of that history. Give me the give me the background on Roaring Table. How you all uh, got to that point? Uh, what that beer journey looks like? This is you all are this is a second uh, career move for you all. Definitely a uh, you know something that you all have worked towards and ultimately realized that dream. You know after some career change in, in some case, um, you know. But but walk me through that. And uh, you know what? How'd you catch the beer bug? How'd you decide to then start a brewery? and uh how has that history of the brewery progressed
1: well i can i can say that uh i have had a uh, a lifelong love affair with beer um so so, uh i like beer some people have to learn to like beer i liked beer when i was eight or nine years old in colorado and i got a sip of coors in the mountains (laughs) and i I liked it a lot and i went on a sabbatical i didn't drink again until later in high school but beer has always (laughs) been something i've just loved and uh Uh, you know, but I didn't know that it was made. It just, it just showed up in front of you in a parking lot somewhere. So, uh, when I, uh, got this beer kit in 2006, uh, I was, I was kind of coming to the end of a career in advertising and, uh, beer suddenly became the most important thing to me. And it, it really has stayed that way ever since. So, uh, uh, I started home brewing and I, I did a, a extract batch and then I went straight to all grain. And then I think the next year I went to Siebel and, uh, and then later that year I got a job with Greg at Mickey Finn's and, uh,
0: one, one year from, uh, <laughs> from Mr. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Beer Kit to, uh, to Siebel. All right. yep.
2: Well, it was kind of like it, the, the progression was, um, you know, this was, this was right in 2007 when everything was going bad. Sure. Um, sure. And Lane was laid off and he, we looked around for a really long time. There was prospects of moving, which we didn't really want to do because family was around here. And then he, he got a homebrew kit at Christmas and then did that. And then he basically said, Hey, there's this beer school. It, you know, it's not terribly expensive. Um, and I, we already have a bunch of debt from grad school and all that stuff. So, you know, can I, can <laughs> so I do this? Yeah. Can yeah. I do this? And so I said, yeah, let's try it. Um, and then, yeah, he went to work for Greg and worked there a long time. <laughs> and sure. then, um, in 2015, we had a little bit of an upset. The company that I work with predominantly did a reorg and they kind of said, hey, we're not going to use any freelancers anymore. And so that was a little bit of a wake-up call for us. And we said, like, we need a plan B. And so we started kind of talking to people and we met some folks. We didn't really think we could start a brewery. I mean, we knew we had savings and stuff like that, but we didn't really realize. Um, it, it seemed it seemed like a bigger thing than we could ever do. But it it turned out that, you know, with some savings for us and with some money that Lane's family has loaned us, like, we were able to you know, to kind of get it going. So, that was kind. Of, that's kind of the backstory. It's a little bit boring, but <laughs> that's the backstory.
0: No, no, it's you know, it's such an interesting one to look at that that 2007 2008 financial crisis. And this is not the first time that I've heard that same thing that that was this impetus. Uh, you know, f- I mean, it causes that reevaluation and that. What do we have to lose? That has that spawned more breweries in that 2010 to 2012 you know, range and push more people into that. Um, it's interesting to think about that, especially as we now <laughs> are looking at yeah. what what is next in the economy right now and uh, yeah. and what that could mean. Um, that's a it's a whole another topic for another another podcast episode. Um, so you guys just started. You decided to start a brewery. Um, Talk to me about that process. You know, there's lots of ways to start it. Obviously, you could start a, a brewery that focuses on, uh, you know, with with a singular focus. Um, you could start a brewery that wanted to be everything to everyone. You all are in an interesting location in a strip shopping center that, uh, you know, in a smaller suburb, you know, far out suburb of of Chicago. Um, Talk to me about envisioning what that brewery was going to be and look like because it's also a beautiful brewery inside. Um, it doesn't look like every other brewery. It has a there's a style to it that feels uh, classy and except but at the same time accessible and there's a, a contemporariness to what you do that also it seems to span the brand from the visual and environmental
1: aspect into the beer itself.
2: Um, well. Do- Go ahead, Lane.
1: You can answer that. Well, I, I can I can say from the point of view of beer, I knew all along that I wanted to have a. I did not want to uh, focus on on a, a subset of styles. I wanted to really explore the whole continuum of beer, and that was uh, uh, that was super important to me. So I, I, I knew that we would make certain styles that you know pay the bills, but uh, I wanted to I wanted to make all the beers. So uh, that was that was goal number one and. Uh, the way, you know, the, in terms of the infrastructure of the brewery, I had worked for nine years for at, at a at a brew pub, and, and I enjoyed very much the idea of uh, the interaction that would come after a day. Uh, you, you know, you just, you got to know people who were customers, and you, you know, so I never had any desire to be, a like, a production brewer. Like, some of the guys I went to school with were went right up to Miller and things like that. I, I like the idea of, like, interacting with people over a beer, over the product you've just made 10 feet away. And so, uh that was the tap room concept was was critical and and uh, always will be I think and um, uh, and then you know the the nuts and bolts was we didn't have a lot of money so we you know I I put things together you know make it work uh, do it yourself type of stuff that uh, you know I, I have come to see is like it's a it's necessary for no matter how much money you have I assume it's sure, necessary sure. to have that attitude and secondly um, it, it's fun there's a challenge to it you know trying to trying to figure out ways to make something work so well nine years
0: working in another brewery i'm sure taught you how to fix and repair and uh troubleshoot all the things that you have to do through that kind of operation
1: well you know uh that's the thing i i could have never i would have never had the guts to do this had i not spent so much time because like going to siebel is cool and you know it's fun but like it's It's so far removed from my day to day experience at a, at a, you know, in a brewery. It's just, it's like it's, you're a, you're a janitor and you're a mechanic. And, and that's 98.5% of your entire time. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the theory about beer, which everybody wants to talk about, is almost irrelevant, you know? So.
0: And yet, and yet, it's that, (laughs) you
1: know,
0: that, uh, you know, can move from good to great and great to world-class. And sometimes it's those small things. I, I, we will dive into that, but, but Beth, talk to me about building the, the, the brand and identity and environment for Roaring Table.
2: Um, well, so there, it, it kind of, it's, it goes back, there's two different ways to look at it. The first way that we look at it is that there's a brewery around here and I won't say which brewery it is that Lane would drag would drag me to. And the first thing I would say is, like, how many, you know, how many beers do you need to have? When are we leaving? And I really felt like if we were going to have a successful business in the suburbs, it had to be accessible to both sexes. It had to be something that if a, if a woman wanted to go there with, you know, her husband, like that was a win-win for everybody because most women don't necessarily like to hang out at breweries alone. I mean, I think that that's changing, but back, you know, five years ago, it was definitely not, um, there weren't any breweries that I really liked to go to. So, and then the second aspect of that was we were in a strip mall. And the biggest thing for me was like, how do you take the strip mall out of strip mall? So uh, those were kind of, that That was like the starting point. And then, you know, I, I was an interior design major in college and I really liked the idea of like trying to make like a classic, but like contemporary space. And my design style, I'm, an, I'm a graphic designer. My design style has always been kind of clean and contemporary. And so I just kind of brought, brought that to, you know, to print with the cans and the logo and everything, but also tried to like make that come through in our space.
0: It's a beautiful space. The packaging is beautiful, and uh, you know, and yet it all feels like of a piece. That uh, the beers feel clean and modern. They, there's a contemporary element to them that also doesn't feel like it pushes too far out. It's still accessible, and uh, and um, you know, and I think that that kind of it, it's cool to see that extend through everything from the beers themselves through the space. Through the packaging everything else i want to dive in and talk about some of the specific beers and some of your approaches to those but before we do that looking for innovation in your next beverage breakthrough think outside the puree box and let your brand stand out with old orchards craft concentrate blends even smoothie seltzers can benefit from the extra boost of flavor and color old orchard is based in the greater grand rapids michigan area also known as beer city usa and supplies craft beverage categories ranging from beer wine and cider to seltzer, spirits, and kombucha. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, as craft beer's most trusted point of sale system arrived, is the mobile all-in-one solution you need to decrease service friction and increase guest satisfaction. With a full suite of craft-specific features, no contracts, and no monthly fees, Arrived provides the necessary tools to help your brewery grow. Go to arrived.com forward slash CBB to set up a free customized demo. That's arrived, A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com forward slash CBB. Remember there is no I in Arrived. Let's talk about uh, about the beers themselves. So, Lane, you say you want to make a whole bunch of different beers, and you want to be this place. It does need to be this welcoming, accessible place that makes lots of different beer styles, but theoretically makes all of those well. Um, you know, as you know, the more you make single beers, the better you get at them. Um, you know, making a whole wide range of beers can make you a jack of all trades and a master of none. And yet, here you are with accolades for everything from pilsner to mixed culture saison you know to hazy ipa so let's walk into you know some of these kind of you know foundational things and maybe we talk about about hazy ipa first um you know as you as you start thinking about how to design flavorful but also uh, I don't want to call it sophisticated but uh, rounded and uh, cohesive uh, hazy Ipas that are also drinkable um, which is how I would define your beers they you know though that hazy IPA approach it's not the sweetest it's not the most intense it's not the most over the top um, but it very well pulls these pieces together in compelling ways and structures them such that uh, you feel these as you drink it it you are getting the experience you expect out of it and also want to keep drinking it uh you know so talk to me about you know getting into that space and starting to design hazy ipa and how how you particularly approached it as a brewer
1: well i uh you know it's funny how how things have changed so much and just since we opened five years ago because uh, my brother and I took a trip out east, and and we were really impressed by some of the beers we tried out there. And and what I felt, and I still feel to this day, was so impressive about it was that there was a lot of flavor and all that w- wonderful hop citrus kind of thing. But the beers were 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 dry enough that you could you could definitely go back to them. Um, and there was something about the water chemistry that just struck me as being, I, I you know, it sounds silly, but elegant. Like there's an elegance to the 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 minerality of the beer. So I was just, that just opened my eyes. I had not really experienced much haze, uh, prior to that. I mean, uh, and, and, and a lot of the, the, you know, the stuff that I had, it was, it was so sweet, uh, or else there was this, this really weird hop burn that I just, I wanted to avoid all of those things. So I, I know that, um, sometimes, you know, the guy who shouts loudest gets the most attention, but I, I knew all along that I wanted to make a beer that was, more in line with what I had experienced out East. Um, so I focused on, you know, water chemistry a lot and and then Let's trying to find that. a way to get there.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that water yeah. chemistry. And I think elegant is a, a fantastic way to put it. And I do think that, you know, if you look at some of those Midwestern Chicago beers like Alarmists that have won in the past or even cross strains, that there's a common thread there of not being over the top in their approach to sweetness or intensity of fruit flavor, but being cohesive and elegant. And that's certainly something that competition judges respond to. Um, talk to me about how, how you build that base starting starting with water.
1: Well, you know- Because it's one not of like the experience... you have
0: a giant RO system and are like, you know, uh, treating oh, the we, heck out of- We,
1: we do have an, have an RO system. system. You do, great. Yes, yeah. yes. The water here is 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 very bad. On, you know, Lake Michigan water is wonderful, but the, the, yeah. the groundwater in northern Illinois is, is very bicarbonate and, and just really nasty. So we have to strip everything out and start over. And that in a way that's been really helpful because that makes me I don't just write a recipe for the for the malts or the hops, I have to write a water recipe for every single beer we make. And so um, so usually it was a lot of my, my, you know, a lot of this is just kind of hunches, right? You, you, you read all, I spend a lot of time reading and thinking and trying to figure out if so-and-so said something that makes sense or if it's not true or this or that. And at some point it's a hunch, right? But, uh, I drank a lot of hazies that were really chalky. They just seemed like there was somebody had dissolved a piece of chalk in the beer and it had a, a grittiness on the tongue. And the, and so I thought, you know, I know that chlorides are important. I buy into the concept of chlorides rounding out malt, but I want to find a way to to reduce that chalkiness. And and so one of my earlier kind of insights was, hey, let's get let's keep the calcium really low, you know, because calcium and chloride can just push things in ways that I think I believe make the beer more gritty. So I, I you know, you know, uh, potassium chloride is my friend, you know, because you can get chlor- high chlorides without any calcium. Um, I like, I like sodium chloride, you know, I, I think that, uh, sodium can play a really interesting role at, at moderate levels where you kind of enhance them, the malt sweetness without, uh, without adding calcium. So, um, you know, I've played around with numbers, uh, you know, we can talk about numbers, uh, but, but, um, I think we've, we've hit on a kind of a, 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 a kind of a recipe that works for us, for our hazies. And I'm, I'm. I'm less inclined to mess with it now after five years, but it took a while, it took a while to get there for sure. But, um, I, you know, cause when I drink tuba solo, I always feel like there's this, uh, there's like this slight, you know, like the, the feeling you get from mineral, a uh, uh, mineral water. That's just, just elegant, you know, like the, it, it, it makes me want to come back for the next sip. And, and too many of the hazies I've had have been like, I need to, I need to have a glass of water in between sips because I'm you know it's there's drying something you, you out see. as you're drinking it sure yeah yeah so so that's that's one of the thoughts i have so about, no calcium about water. then just uh I, you know i put i put say 30 parts per million you know i'll use a little bit of calcium chloride like yeah you know but i think people people i my opinion is people over rely on calcium chloride and so the calcium when the calcium numbers get really high i just have this hunch that that you end up with a chalkier beer and so um but, you know, I I have no lab analysis to back any of this up. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. We, we you know, we take a lot of flyers here and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of brewers find ways that work for them. And sometimes it's there. It's something that no one has identified in the process, you know, that uh, is leaving them to make these things. And the nice thing is that everybody can listen and everybody can try and they can make through their own brewing experiments and, yep. and learn from that. Um, you know, t- typical sulfate to chloride ratio then for you or? Uh, easy
1: I usually do four to one. I, 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 started okay. at, you know, three to one. Now I'm at four to one. Um, uh, you know, so if I have 200 plus chloride, I might have 40 sulfate. Um, uh, yeah, I never really bought into that ratio thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think it's the total numbers that matter the most, but, um, okay what do it's, i know? it's 20 <laughs> i mean that's
0: there we've certainly had that conversation about you know total numbers uh, when it refers to lager brewing that was uh um, swifty peters at uh, abgb's big things like you know it's, it's total dissolved solids yep that's the you know so for you uh you know is there a goal for that Are you trying to you know i guess that would fit that elegance of not uh, not overdoing that water treatment by keeping the the overall mineral content um you know fairly refined
1: yeah, I don't, I mean, some guys I know it go really high, three three or more hundred parts per million chloride. And that, yeah. I, I, I think that's excessive. I, I tend to shoot for around 200 and maybe 40 is sulfate. And then, you know, a little bit of a uh, little, little bit of uh, sodium and maybe a little bit of magnesium. And then, you know, the, the potassium chloride, um, I don't know what potassium does. There's only about 40 parts per million, but I, I can bump, I can pick up a hundred, uh, well, 80 parts per million of chloride without any calcium, just using a little bit of that. So it seems to work, you know,
0: (laughs) Hey, it's working so far. Um, So you, so you build up this nice, uh, you know, water recipe, where, uh, where do you go next from there?
1: Well, uh, you know, obviously you think about, you know, the next thing I think about is the malt, the grain bill. And how do you, uh, you know, and there's a lot of, everybody's got their own thoughts on this. Like, you know, how much of this flaked adjunct oats and and wheat do you need? Uh, You know, and I've, I've kind of, you know, initially I was like, "Oh yeah, lots is better, more is better." And then now I'm starting to pull back, and like, I I don't think it's is is you don't need as much as maybe we thought earlier on. I still use some, but uh, you what know, what led you to think I that? W- eh, well, one, it's just a horrible day. The brewing is horrible because it's, just, <laughs> sure, it's, sure. it's just like, oh my god. But uh, but I just didn't. I was I would cut back on it, and I didn't notice any difference. I just I'm like, huh. I don't know. I don't feel like we need to overdo this, you know. So, you know, 10 or 12% uh flaked and I'm I'm good to go it feels like, you know. Yeah. Um uh I you know, but I you know, I I use Golden Promise for tuba solo. I really really like Golden Promise. Um yeah. it adds like it adds this like just depth of malt that is neat. Um What do you say depth of malt? What do you mean by that?
0: How do well, you describe kinda, that character?
1: It's like it's like the, the, you know, like it's the, the essence of malt. It, it seems like it's sweet, but it's not sweet. Like it's right. like malt and sweetness seem like they're the same thing, but really you can disaggregate them and you can have something that, the, the favorite kind of beer for me is the one that you take it in your mouth and it seems one way and then as you drink it, it turns into something else. And usually that goes from like a sweet, rich feeling to a dry cleansing feeling and you're like instantly ready to have another sip. That, that to me is like artistry, you know, if you can achieve that. So uh, I think I, I I have a hunch that Golden Promise does a little bit of that, maybe. Uh, yeah.
0: I think you're right. And I think it's that's incredibly important, especially in this kind of hazy IPA style where you are selling the idea of fruit flavors in the hops themselves and fruit and sweetness are inherently tied to each other. That fruit flavor without sweetness doesn't get conveyed as fruit. And yet at the same time, you don't want something sweet lingering into a finish because then it's just cloying and nobody wants to take another sip. So figuring out how to to cause that change through the course of the sip, uh, you know, becomes the the magic vanishing act that you perform.
1: Well, you know, because I want it to be beer, you know, like, I mean, I always, I always joke, like if you, if, there's this phase where everybody's like it's so juicy it's juicy it's like well why not just go buy some juice and drink the juice if you like juice so much you know i mean i prefer to drink beer so i wanted it to i wanted it to be a beer yet you know something different than juice you know it's it's a beer you know so that it, it can remind you of, of those kinds of experiences but it still is something more magical because it's a fermented beverage that you know there's there's mystery and magic involved in that
0: you know sure sure <laughs> So 88% golden promise and about 10 to 12 of, uh, you know, of flaked wheat.
1: I use some, I use some malted wheat. So maybe, maybe it's not that much, um, uh, barley malt, but, um, yeah. but any, I think any of those things would, would, sure. you know, uh, would do the trick.
0: Are there, uh, any mass strategies that you take to, uh, you know, uh, either promote or, uh, uh uh, slow down fermentation or uh get you to uh a f- the final gravity that you're looking for in this
1: well so here's this I was talking to another guy a few weeks ago and he's like I, I love uh I use omega British 5 which is 1318 or or the Boddingtons or whatever and um he's like oh I, I ferment that at 72 and then let it go higher and I'm like "Ugh, you know to me I I, I go in at 62 and keep it under 64 until the towards the very end i don't i don't want the esters of that yeast to compete with the malt or the hops i I want the hops to be the heavy lifters there so Hmm. i I, that's you know that's just a personal preference but i don't i do not really enjoy british fives esters uh once they get out of hand i just don't like that so i i keep it cold that's and that's true for most of the i think i i I prefer colder uh fermentation temperatures for most of my beers um, because I think esters can get weird. I think you know that they have a place, but uh, too many people overdo it. I think. Yeah.
0: When you say weird, what do you? How would you describe that flavor of the excessive esters? Uh, and how that interacts with hops, or what it does to distract you from the hops.
1: You know how uh, you know how fruity flavors can so, at some point kind of become almost medicinal or plasticky. Yeah. Like there's a there's it it, it kind of it's like this cloying like i don't know if it's overripe fruit or or just there's it's like it's kind of attractive at first and then you're like ooh, this is this is like too much it's like it's it's almost become artificial somehow so uh, you know it's hard to really say exactly what that is it just doesn't it seems not as clean as i would like it to be and and really what i'm hoping for is that the hops are able to really uh you know this is you're, you're kind of creating this canvas so that the hops can really you know, be the main focus, I think. So
0: Sure. Sure. What's the what's the goal finishing gravity on this? And I I should say that everyone who's a subscriber to craft beer and brewing can go access the recipe for tuba the homebrew scaled recipe for tuba solo that uh, we had the breakout brewer story uh, you know a couple issues ago um and so if you're a subscriber you can reference all of this information from the magazine itself we're just going to talk about it in more broad terms here on the podcast uh, you know in kind of conceptual terms because we can
1: <laughs> yeah uh five Play-Doh, okay. probably so no, it's certainly that's, not that's
0: still kind of sweet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I think, but I'll, although here's another thing I've learned, final gravities and sweetness are not necessarily a, they're not, they're not, a, uh, they're correlated somehow, but they're not directly connected. You can have higher finishing gravities and drier beer, and you can have lower finishing gravities and sweeter beer. And so that is not a one-to-one thing, at least in my experience.
0: What are, then what are the other factors that affect that perception? You know, I mean, you could call that finishing gravity the actual definition of of dry or sweet, even if it's not perceived. But but other factors affect that perception that might change it.
1: Well, you know, I think that there's there's you know there's uh, long chain dextrins that aren't necessarily very sweet on a on a organoleptic level, and there's also uh, beta glucans. Uh, my friend Tyson is really into beta glucans, and I, I think there's something to that. Uh, so I do, I, you know. And these are all hunches, but I just feel like at, at, I've had five Play-Doh finishing beers that tasted much sweeter than other five Play-Doh finishing beers. And, you know, something's different, it seems, you know, but.
0: Uh, and so then are you taking a mash strategy around that in order to produce those long chain de- dextrins and lesser fermentable, uh, you know, pieces of the grist? Yeah,
1: yeah, we we have mash fairly warm for that one. Um, nothing, nothing crazy though. Just yeah. uh, a lot of it, I think it has to do with, you know, getting really good yeast. And, and if you, you oxygenate it the right way, you give it a good environment. Uh, at, early on, we would have some variations. Now it seems like it's almost always within, it's pretty tight. The yeast does what it does with this, with this recipe, just pretty much the same thing each time, which is cool.
0: Well, let's talk about that fermentation then, you know, with the yeast, what is it about that, that, uh, you know, may do you think in the way that you use it and then in some of your approach maybe that's that cooler fermentation maybe that's something else that's involved here that will produce you know say you know those long chain dextrins or those beta glucans that m- may add to the gravity without adding to that perception of sweetness
1: well i mean it's it's there's a bit of mystery to this right um sure uh you know you can you can you can follow a MASH regimen that favors that. You can use uh, a grist bill that is higher in beta-glucans. Like, obviously, that's why everybody likes flaked oats and flaked, you know, that's a lot of beta-glucans. You can, uh, you know, I I think that by fermenting cool, we give it a lot of oxygen, and yet we hope for a fairly long lag time. I, I For some reason, I have this feeling that a long lag time uh, is... Not, not long, long, but like, you know, I, I don't mind waiting a day to see activity, you know, and, or, or even a little bit longer. So, um, but I don't, I cannot tell you. So you'll it,
0: let it go a day without activity after, after pitch and.
1: Yeah, we find that, we find that we, we, we give the, yeah. we give the the yeast a lot of oxygen and it spends a day, uh, replicating and, and growing yeah. before it just switches over to anaerobic. And so, um, you know, I, I, do I, I don't know why that would, maybe, <laughs> um, maybe that helps. I, I like that. I, I know with my loggers, I used to worry that, oh, it didn't, it didn't take off right away. And then, and the more I've read now, people, a lot of guys are saying, well, actually a longer lag time, as long as it, as long as it eventually does take off is, isn't such a bad thing because uh, you know, the yeast are, is reproducing, you're getting a bigger cell count. And uh, then when they're ready to go marching out to battle, they're, they're, they're ready to do, do the right thing. So Uh, But I don't really control that necessarily other than by, you know, I oxygenate and I think that's important.
0: You know, and it sounds, yeah, right. You're doing two things at the same time, you know, knocking out a lower temperature, which is ostensibly going to slow down their activity or at least pace out their activity, you know, but then also again, giving them tons of oxygen to help them be healthy, you know, as they're, slowly doing their thing yeah, um, and then kind of uh, building up. And so you don't get that initial super vigorous fermentation. I imagine, you know, the arc just kind of, you know, creeps a little bit more, huh?
1: Yeah. I, I, I think that, um, I, I, I think a lot of people, I was like this early on were very concerned if there wasn't activity straight away, you know, but like, if, if that's what you want, you should ferment with Kvike. You know, I, I, when I use Hornendahl, uh, I can't even finish cleaning up uh, my heat exchanger and it's already fermenting, you know, so, <laughs> sure, you, sure. You, you know, there are yeast that, you know, that's great. But I think that like uh, uh, this yeast, a little bit of a lag time, you know, I, you know, we give it some zinc, we give it some nutrients. And I, I like to think that it's just getting happy and it's like just I'm gonna take my time and be happy and then we'll ferment. And, uh, you know, the idea that it, now we're able to kind of basically get the same result every time is I think that's a a sign that we're in a we're it's a good partnership uh with the yeast and us.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. I want to talk about hops. Before we do that from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brew House to the integrated hop backs on Sierra Nevada's Twin Prototyping Brew Houses, SS BrewTech has taken technology they invented working with world-renowned industry veterans and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS BrewTech's innovation list, head over to ssbrewtech.com. Hops are clearly a big part of this for you, I mean, as they are for everyone who makes Hazy IPA, Um, talk to me about selecting hops and then, you know, you're a small brewery, you're not necessarily doing the huge kinds of volumes that might send you out to Yakima and doing specific selections, and so you were also figuring out ways to source hops, um, to evaluate hops that you get that you may not have as much leeway in, uh, in picking ahead of time and figuring out how to coax some beautiful results out of those. Talk to me about that process.
1: Well, uh, we're at the mercy of the hops that we're able to get. There's no question about that. And, uh, you know...
0: I Which I, I got to say, I mean, you know, we talked to a lot of brewers here on the podcast and, you know, everyone will talk about how important selection is. Absolutely true. Also, you know, talk to Phil Pesek at uh, uh, Burke Gilman, who had, you know, won jbf Medal and Alpha King in the same year and they weren't selecting hops. You know, the, the, yeah. there are... You know, it it's fascinating to me to talk to brewers that aren't selecting and kind of drill down on how they make sure, sh- you know, how how you're still tasting, smelling, rubbing, and making sure that you're gonna get the best possible results out of those hops, spot hops that you get.
1: Well, you know, here's here's another one where I, I, I say, you know, I've I've rubbed hops and they smelled one way and then brewed with them and they smelled and tasted completely different. And so I, I always say, I don't know if I would be very good at, at selecting hops because, you know, I don't, I think that there, it's more mysterious than it seems. it does, It's not like a one-to-one thing where you rub a hop and then you use it in a beer and then the beer tastes or, or smells like what you rubbed, uh, I, at least not in my experience. So, um, you know, I'd love to go do that someday, but I might just be guessing, you know, because um, we've used hops that's the bag, you know, oh, this is great. And then, then uh uh It tastes like dirt (laughs) when it's in the beer so there's an element of like luck to a lot of this as well um however however we do we do do things that are pretty you know i call them easy button hops you know if you put if you get a decent bag of citron a decent bag of mosaic uh odds are you're already you know three quarters of the way towards you know happiness right um uh the other thing i'm i'm really interested in some of these hop products uh we use we use incognito um, and, and we're going to start using the salvo. Um, but I find that, uh, it's a, it's kind of neat to, ex- you know, take the vegetal part of the hop out of the, out of the, uh, picture. And, and, you know, so, uh, that can do some fun stuff. Um, but I, you know, but T9, so T45 is cool. Obviously you need some T90. Cause I think every, I've read a bunch of stuff that says, well, guys tried doing stuff with just, uh, this, this, this concentrated stuff and it, d- it doesn't seem right. It's like microwaving a steak or something. So, uh, <laughs> it, it is, it is kind of a balance balancing act, but I am super interested in the, 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 the kind of innovation that's happening with, with hops. And, uh, we, we definitely play around with, uh, you know, oils and extracts and things like that. So,
0: yeah, what have you uh, what have you found through that? I know you mentioned hop burn before, which is certainly something that uh, some of these products aim to overcome by yeah you know, maybe reducing that kind of you know polyphenol yeah. or myrcene kind of component that seems to be one of the drivers of that.
1: Well, Incognito uh, can just do a you know you can get uh, I, you know I've bounced around from not putting any hops in the boil at all for hazies to uh, you know now I'm inching back towards a, a little bit. But like whirlpooling with incognito is something I really like to do because you're getting a lot of those, what I consider to be probably uh, precursors to biotransformation oils uh, that, that uh, you know, and so we, we've been doing that in the kennel. We're actually probably in the next week or two, we're going to do this thing. Ryan has been reading about people using it in the fermenter, which is crazy to me, but we're going to try it because when you, drink the, when you drink the hydrometer sample of the beer with uh, incognito in the whirlpool, it's like, it's like, oh, my God, I, I, I need to scrub my tongue off. This stuff just clings to, you know, it clings to everything. <laughs> sure, sure. But something happens during the fermentation, then that's just all incorporated. So we're going we're we to put about some in that, the fermenter uh,
0: about that, uh, you know, dry hopping with, uh, you know, flowable hot products with Kelsey McGuire yeah. of North Park on the podcast last December. Oh. And uh, he's done all right with that. <laughs> uh, we just yeah, had one yeah. of his
1: beers. It was very good. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's, that's, um, those are some of the ideas.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, through that, you know, fermentation and dry hopping, you know, kind of process, uh, you know, where do you, obviously you're shooting for hazy. If you're throwing in a bunch of stuff in the whirlpool, you know, creating your biotransformation precursors there, um, are you then dry hopping later in the process or, you know, post fermentation, just, uh, you know, what's, what's that look like? And then, you know, what do you typically do with your dry hopping regimen?
1: Well, I've been all over the, all over the map and, you know, I've, I, I, I was initially a, i i believe that oh you got to get in there early for for biotransformation and so i i was throwing it in the day day after and then i started throwing it in when i was pitching yeast and 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 then i and it's like uh it blows up on all over the place and ends up on the floor and so then then i started hearing about uh the you know uh omega was finding that later later dry hops were actually uh haze positive and so i've been moving away from that and now basically uh uh I will, just because I'm a bit of a chicken, I'll put a little bit of T90 in towards the end of active, and then I'll soft crash and dump yeast, and then I do the majority of my dry hopping af- after the yeast is gone.
0: Uh, do you do that in one charge, multiple charges? And uh, what temperature do you dry hop at?
1: So I used to I used to be all worried about, you know, oh, let's do it in a bunch of different charges. Now I just do it all at once. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I I... I, I I owe a a, gr- a debt of gratitude to Scott Janish, who wrote that, n- that new IPA book. And, uh, he, sure. he recommends, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Mid fifties. So we, you know, in, in it, it really helps get, I think that one of the theories that makes sense to me is that the yeast cells hold on to a hop compounds. So if you got a lot of cells in solution, you all that hop stuff is just going to go down the tubes eventually, right? So, you know, we'll, we'll drop the cone a couple times at 55 degrees, uh, drop the full charge, of, full charge of hops in there, and then we'll rouse with CO2 for a day or two, and then we, then we coal crash and get rid of everything. So.
0: And then, you know, is there any magic to how you, you know, finish after that point?
1: I think, uh, well, I will say this. Uh, we are, you know, we have the luxury of some more time, and I think that the, the beer improves considerably after another, you know, if you can give it seven or ten days, like when it just sits very quietly, cold, it gets way way better. Uh, so you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I've heard that some some people are releasing beers that need to sit in cans because they're just it's too soon. And and uh, I'm glad that we don't have to do that because I feel like after t- seven to ten days, really cold, it just becomes a better beer. So so will you drop it down then after after
0: dry hopping after you know just let it cold condition for a while.
1: Yeah, we go as cold as our chillers will let it let us go thirty two degrees and uh, wow carb it and let it sit um uh, you know ideally for 10 days sure so and i
0: imagine you then get the cleanest hazy beer that you can possibly get at that point if it's uh it's been sitting cold for that long
1: well you know it's uh there was a lot of talk for a long time about yeast but it's not yeast it's it's a polyphenol sure. matrix right so the yeast story is don't people shouldn't think that right, because right. it's you know uh if you do that if you get the haze right it'll stay like that for for longer than the beer should be around it's not like it's dropping out like a half vice yeah we have a half of ice it turns into a crystal vice because we people don't drink it fast (laughs) enough you know but sure sure so
0: let's uh let's flip around and uh and talk about some other beer styles now obviously you know people love hazy ipa but uh you know you have brewed lagers for a while and obviously mickey finn's you know you have a lot of experience there greg hugh broodwitz now at Art history they're making great lagers you guys are making great lagers your cohorts there in uh, lake zurich phase three they're making great lagers yep. yeah dovetail in chicago that's making great lagers like this is an incredible lager town you know in this kind of metro uh chicago uh, uh area um such a cool thing to see everybody kind of feeding pushing and uh you know and uh, you know the level of lager brewing is is so high there but talk to me about then how you know knowing that this is the markets you're coming into getting into it with pills I mean that's a that's a, a big one chunk you know chunk to bite off and uh try to make a beer that can hang with uh you know with all of these other lager heavyweights now um how how do you do it and uh, how did you add a roaring table spin to that because clearly our judges loved it scored a 95.
1: uh well you know i knew i wanted that was those beers have a special place in my heart there's no question about it so and i also recognize that it it really is the kind of beer that other, other brewers, you make a good lager. They're like, okay, I, I like you, you know? So, uh, you, <laughs>
0: it's, it's cred, right? Amongst it's, brewers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's no question about it. So, um, so that, so those two factors alone were enough for me to want to, you know, definitely focus on that. And, um, we've played around with things, uh, you know, getting good, fresh quality German malts, um, using good German yeast, uh, and then uh you know the the if I can say and this isn't I mean nothing is new but um uh we've we've used some of the whirlpooling ideas that we had from hazy IPAs with our with our loggers to really? try to extract yeah we w- you know I had a uh you know I don't get to I don't get to try a lot of these beers that I read about in your magazine unfortunately <laughs> so uh but but somebody brought me a can of uh industry pills from ABGB Sure sure And, and I was like, wow, this is, this beer has got this, like, it tastes like a Pilsner. Okay. That's good. But, um, it's got this like rich mouth filling. And I, this could sound weird, but it's like an oil, hop oiliness that I found incredibly satisfying. It's like this, it, it coats your tongue and your palate with this, what must be hop oils. Right. And so I drank it and I'm like, that's like a, that's like a Pilsner, except for this other thing that makes it better. And, uh. So I thought, okay, how are they doing that? And, and I said, well, uh, the only way I know how to get more hop oils into a beer is, is to put a bunch of hop oils in the whirlpool, you know, because they're, they're not dry hopping that pilsner. Um, so we started doing big charges in the whirlpool and started experiencing some of that same character, which I really like. So with the, the last batch of RTB pills, uh, you know, we put a whole bunch of, of middle fruit in the whirlpool at 180 degrees, like you would for a hazy. And I think it, you know, I think it's doing something kind of cool. That's,
0: that's really interesting. So, you, you know, talk to me about how you figure that out because you're throwing it into the whirlpool, you're going to get some bittering addition from that. But, you know, because in your pills needs to be bitter. Um, it doesn't, you, you also want to be cautious about not having too much overbearing hop flavor in that, even if you want some of the textural components of the hops to come through in that whirlpool, how do you balance then, you know, where and what time and how you add hops through that hot side process?
1: Well, with that beer, it wasn't very balanced at all because we were throwing in hops. (laughs) I mean, we were gloriously unbalanced. Great. Yeah. It was, you know, first wort, we did that. We did 60, we did uh, thirty and fifteen. We did five and two, and then we did a g- ginormous thing after we had cooled our, our kettle down with the whirlpool. And uh, you know, I think you know if you're lucky and everything goes well, the character of the, bi- the bitterness is 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 more approachable somehow. Like you you could you could have less bu's and have a harsher bitterness, and it would seem more bitter. Whereas you know the thing that I was shooting for is this rich, round, like. It's a mouthfeel, feel, I think that they're getting out of the hop oils uh, as much as bitterness, and so. Uh, but that's you know, that's a mystery as well, right? Uh, but I think that I'm on to something. Is it something. a mystery?
0: I think, I think maybe I mean, you're on to something. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I'd love to. I I need to talk to talk to some of those guys to find out what they're doing. But uh, but that's my, that's my guess. They're a little they're a little cagey about some of those things. Yeah, there's, I'm sure. There's some things sure. they'll
0: share, and there's some things they won't. And uh, yeah, I get yeah. it. I appreciate that.
1: Right. It's hard. It's hard to figure this stuff
0: out. So, Uh, you know, it's interesting to see you doing that there with the, you know, with that, you know, middle fruit. You know, is there anything in particular, you know, to that? Or like how much volume are we then talking about in the whirlpool as a percentage of your, your kind of overall hop load? And what do you kind of peg for? What do you peg for IBUs on this?
1: So it calculated, calculated, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 42 is a calculated. I have no idea really what it is um but you know the whirlpool for for 10 barrels we had uh i, I think it was close to 15 pounds of of t90 middle fruit and uh we also used some t45 which is the constant you know the lupo max or whatever that is and uh to get more oils towards the end of the boil um so you know i thought that beer i was worried i'm like eh, it might be like just undrinkably bitter but I, it actually turned out i think you know and with with uh uh uh, we used uh, a pills, uh, I think, which has mm-hmm. got a rich a richness to it that somehow kind of stands up better to some of those those hop uh, assertively hoppy kind of designs. So, um, but you know, it, it's kind of a we have to we have to taste the beer afterwards to see if it's if it worked out or not. Almost, you know. So yeah.
0: it seemed to work out okay.
1: I mean, and then it doesn't always work out. I mean, we have to, sometimes the beer just has to go down the drain. So, and that's, we're cool with that too. You know, I mean, Beth isn't, Beth isn't cool with that, but I, 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 (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes that's what you have to do.
2: (laughs) We've only done that twice, right? Or not even twice. I don't think.
1: Maybe a few other times that you don't know about. Oh,
2: great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is uncomfortable.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so talk to me about the rest of that kind of you know, Pilsner process. Then, um, you know, do you use a common lager yeast between all your lagers? And you are, you know, it's a smaller brewery, and yeah, you know, it's all cylindrical fermenters, isn't it?
1: Yep, yep. We actually know uh, this because I
0: was there, but it was dark in there, and you have like yeah. very attractive, clever up lights, you know, they add a drama
1: throughout the the
0: cellar there it looks fantastic you know but
1: uh yeah it's the night the night cellar is different than the day cellar for sure uh it's much much prettier but uh yeah we like you know we we repitch yeast sometimes but not not like a production brewery right and so we're 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 fortunate to be able to just say what what do we want to use uh we went we've gone through a big phase where we like the the uh bayern omega bayern which is the Augustiner yeast um yeah it's just, but, but we also really like 3470 and, and, you know, we brew a lot of beers with just bricks of 3470 and, and that's a, just a incredibly versatile, easy to use yeast that is wonderful. So, um, you know, but mostly it's just like, Hey, let's get the best malt we can figure out what we're shooting for. uh, You know, you know, water chemistry again, you know, a little more on the sulfate side. I, I like sodium in, in my Pilsners a lot. I, you know, I, I I think I would hit, uh, 80 parts per million sodium, maybe a little more. And I just think, I think it just gives it something. I don't know, but, uh, but then, then it's just like, you okay. Uh, it's like, and putting
0: that salt in his lager, right? You
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, On the other, on the other hand, I have to confess that we, uh, we're, we're, We, we do some things that are unconventional and, or at least we're not able to people, you know, Greg will hate me for this, but, um, we can't pitch as cold as he would like. So we, we pitch, we pitch at, uh, what we can get, which is sometimes, you know, 62, 64 degrees. We have our fermenter chilling right away. And, uh, usually it's down to 49, uh, by the next morning or even earlier, but, um, so, and I have not noticed any, I don't, have not noticed any problems with esters or anything like that. And so I, I kind of, like, if it, if it works, uh, you know, I, I wish I could say I went in at 44 degrees and let it come up, but I can't, there's no chance. So, uh, you, you do what you can. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Do you, you exchange your groundwater? It's just not going to be cold enough. Can't well, we don't, we have a, we have a makeshift,
1: too. we have a a cold liquor tank that's in our walk-in. It's just a big plastic tank. Yeah, uh, we don't have we don't have a glycol chilled, uh, cold liquor tank, so it it only gets down to about forty, forty two degrees, and uh, you know we just that's you know it's seven hundred fifty gallons, and if I tried to go down to fifty degrees, I, I'd run out of water before I got all the beer in the fermenter. So, sure. So we you know we definitely are willing the production to, realities of a small brewery. Yeah, yeah. You do what you can, and 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 that in that instance, I have not noticed. Any problems, and I and I'm I, I'm very aware of the idea that you do not want uh, estery Pilsner. So, uh, you know, and and I always say, Ryan, does this is this any esters? He's like, no. I'm like, okay. So as long as nobody knows what temperature we pitch the yeast at, and no, it's nobody's business, right? It's still it still tastes good, maybe, hopefully.
0: Proof proof is in the, the beer itself for sure for <laughs> sure. Anything else to your Lager process there or Pilsner process that uh, that might be interesting?
1: Well, you know, uh, we, we do a little cheating, like I said. Uh, the other thing <laughs> is that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, lo- I don't have horizontal tanks. I, we don't logger right. for eight weeks. Um, you know, we use finings to help the process along. Uh, and, and I think you, I, you know, I think the message I would give to my former self who was, was maybe fearful to make loggers, is that y- you, if you, there's workarounds for a lot of this you can you can actually get a pretty darn good lager even if you don't have everything just perfect in terms of your 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 brewery, you know. So And we don't yeah. we
2: have nothing that's perfect with that brewery. Nothing. That's, that's that is absolutely
1: true. <laughs>
0: You uh you use the tools you got to make the beer you need to make and uh, yep. you find the 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 best possible ways to do that and you invest as you can to, you know, as the business allows and, uh, you know, allows you to improve over those things. It's it's a common story and it's it's what every brewer everywhere does, no matter what the scale is. You, you use yeah. what you got to make what you need to make. Well, let's talk a little bit about mixed fermentation beer, you know, since you guys just won a, a World Beer Cup uh, medal for your mixed culture saison beth um you know the certainly the market's a little different now for mixed culture beers than it was you know say 8 years ago um and yet it's still a passion project for you talk to me about uh, you know going in and uh, you know designing mixed culture beer and then then pulling that off in in this small uh you know brewery approach
1: well you know that there's a there's a beers that I would make even if we couldn't sell any because I love them so much saison is probably very close to my desert Island beer. Um, and, uh, for me, it's DuPont, you know, yeah. um, probably most, most people. Right. But, um, uh, so, uh, you know, what's cool about Cezanne is it's like, you know, what do you have to ferment with? Well, we've got some wheat, we've got some pills, we got some oats. Okay. Let's use it. Um, uh, it's really a yeast driven beer. Uh, you know, so, uh, the Beth, We actually, you know, I had, I love, I love DuPont so much that initially I'm like, I'm going to make all my Cezannes with, with DuPont yeast. And DuPont yeast is notorious for stalling midway through fermentation. And I I had one that sat in a tank for months and months and months and early on. And I just, I'm like, I don't know what to do. We finally pitched some wit, a big bunch of wit yeast we had, and it finally, finally turned the corner. But then we got the stainless steel tote. It's my Cezanne tote. And so uh, with Beth, we we used the uh, Dupont yeast, and we knew it would probably stall, and we just waited and waited. We put we bought a a concrete uh, heater; it's a a heating pad for drying concrete, I guess, and taped it to the side (laughs) of the sure, sure. And uh, we just waited and waited, and it was like I don't think it reached final gravity for three or four months. And, and, and here's, here's so something you that's really pressure weird.
0: pressure on that? Or, I mean, I obviously know
1: that, that, that head nah, pressure nah, or, is,
0: on that yeast tends to slow down. No, we,
1: we, we, well, it's a, it's a tote that doesn't really hold any pressure, right, but we right. even, we, we put cheesecloth over the top of the Manway yeah. just to see if maybe, because, oh, it won't stall if there's no pressure at all. But that's not true, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, but here, here's what's weird now. So we, we uh, gathered that yeast for a second beer. So the second generation. The first beer took four months to get to Final Gravity, and the second beer took a day and a half to get to Final Gravity. <laughs> so isn't that, isn't that yeah. wild and crazy? Yeah. Um, but do, it's it such just a great use. It's
0: time to get into, you know, fight and shape, and once exactly. it's there, it's there.
1: So you know I can see why like at Dupont they're repitching that yeast every day right so they don't they don't have any of those issues probably but uh but the 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 that you get is is so yummy it's for me it's like lemon custard and pepper pepper dust and all this wonderful just uh and then all we did with that is we uh we bottle condition it with a uh, uh Brett B and we let it sit for a quite a while in bottles and it's you know it just evol- it's living and it's evolving in the bottle sure so
0: is there a particular Brett B strain? I mean, I, I know we talk about it in broad terms, but uh, um, there's a there's actually a much more bigger range to that Brett B than you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about that, but Ryan, my assistant, yeah. Ryan is uh, he comes from a homebrew uh, homebrew shop background. He's
2: not so your I, assistant anymore.
1: Well, he is, isn't he?
2: well no he's Uh, our head brewer
1: (laughs) well yeah but he still gets to assist me so um, yeah
2: that's true but but, uh, everyone assists you
1: (laughs) oh yeah right uh but so i go to ryan like what what should we use he's like well i really like the y-e strain of bread yeah i'm like okay done i don't know you tell me so that's what we use he likes that i trust him so boom uh and you know it it, it just you know it, it tastes good now i i'm You know, it goes through phases where maybe it doesn't taste as good. It's maybe there's an element of just like this is the right time for somebody to taste it and judge it and stuff like that. But uh, so, you know, ideally you have several bottles and you open them up over the course of multiple years. Right. Sure. Sure. What do you, you
0: know, if you're looking at it now, what do you, what else do you think might be a difference maker
1: for that beer? Like, like a Cezanne or like a Brett Cezanne?
0: Well, you know, you're talking about entering into a, you know, World Beer Cup competition where there are other extremely extraordinarily well-made, you know, iterations of the similar style. Um, It sounds like your approach was relatively simple with a clean fermentation and a bottle fermentation. So so it's not necessarily this, you know, kind of lacto, PDO or, you know, more complex mixed fermentation. It's very much a kind of classic, you know, bottle. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, in that beer, that's that is true. But we also have a, you know, we have a twenty barrel fooder that is, uh, is a blonde based Cezanne beer that is is we inoculated with a uh, pediococcus and lactobacillus and sure. all the breads from Omega and, and bottle dregs from some of my favorite goos and so <laughs> yeah, right, uh, right. so we we use that as a blending tool right. uh, for a lot of our a lot of our mixed mixed culture beers. That's that's there's a portion of fooder beer, uh, oh, but uh, with okay. Beth, it, yeah, with Beth it was just a Cezanne. and and bread in the bottle so
0: if you were to again try to speculate on what it was that captured the imagination of judges in that competition what do you think was that difference maker
1: well i think that being patient and allowing that yeast to just really do its thing and like literally just ignoring that tote for four months and uh i mean it's a yeast the yeast makes a beer i mean you know. I I don't really <laughs> they should give the award to the yeast really because uh you know it's an easy beer to make in the, in the on a brew day right it's not there's nothing to it um I, you know I, I mean water chemistry Lane, yeah but you can't
0: win that race without the jockey you know <laughs> it, it, it takes both of them
1: yeah yeah uh I don't have I don't I don't know I don't know if there was any I mean it was a pretty simple day and then time <laughs> Well, fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Um well let's let's pull back out here and then and talk about uh you know the the future, near-term future and long-term future for Roaring Table. Uh it, it might be the most impressive strip mall brewery that I've ever seen. Um you know, clearly you guys are making phenomenal beer across styles, but doing it in a small way, primarily feeding your tap room, but also doing some small-scale canning. Um, you know, and, and getting smaller amounts of beer out there. What, what is, uh, what are the next steps for Roaring Table? And uh, where would you like to be five years
1: from now?
2: Lane, do you want me to answer?
1: Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't know the answer to any of those questions, but so you do it.
2: <laughs> so we are currently throwing around the idea of expanding into the vacant space that, that, so when we, when we bought that space, It was a huge not bought it when we demoed it and you know started renting it, it was a giant furniture store. And we cut it in half essentially. And the landlord was going to rent out the rest of it as like storage space, but no one ever took it. And so it's just been sitting like collecting, you know, tenants overflow storage. And so they offered it to us and we're, you know, we're considering in the next year getting a slightly bigger brew house, um, like more proper tools in which to make beer and also um, expanding into it and having like a dedicated event space. I'm finding that every single day now I'm getting an email asking, you know, if we could do weddings, if we could, um, you know, have have smaller gatherings. And as you, you know, you were in our tap room, we don't, we have just like one kind of open space. So we're also considering, you know, adding, some food, something very simple. You know, I, we found that after COVID, it feels like people, you know, I mean, they're going out more, but I feel like they want, they, brew pubs are becoming a thing again. Whereas, you know, when we started our brewery five years ago, people were like, oh, brew pubs are destined to fail. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that they're, they're, there's like a resurgence of those where people, you know, it's, it, it food trucks are great, but food trucks are notoriously unreliable. So- you know, we think that possibly having pizza or something like that to offer our customers would be good for us.
0: Sure. Something to keep them around and uh, keep yep. them fed and keep them drinking some more beer. What do you hope to achieve, you know, five years from now?
2: You can answer that, Lane.
0: <laughs> when you set up for this business, what was what was the dream? And uh, how will you know when you've achieved that dream?
1: Well, I, I would like to, I you know, I would like to be a recognized Chicagoland brewery. I think that uh and that in my mind that requires a certain kind of critical mass. I think that we we've been uh, we've been good at being small and I like to try to be good at being medium small, you know. So I would like to be able to I would like it would be gratifying to me to make re- really good beer that the people in Chicagoland uh, had uh, a more red, readily access to. So m- making more beer and getting it out into the world a bit more it's 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 always fun and exciting for me when people you know say hey i've you know i've never tried your beer i don't really know much about you but this is this is i like this and i'm like that's that's you know that's what keeps me going i i really enjoy it when people like the beer because uh i like it too and so uh we i think that if we could do a couple thousand barrels a year in chicagoland that would be really cool
0: Well, earlier you mentioned not being able to get a hold of some of those uh, great beers and craft beer and brewing, but I imagine that there's a significant number of people out there listening and reading who are uh, trying to figure out how to get a hold of yours now. And well, so trade, uh... <laughs> trade with me. I'll, I'll, I'll trade you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I didn't figure that this was the matchmaking podcast for beer no. traders. But, uh, we tried to stay away from that, but, uh, but, but yeah, there you go. Well, I think that's a great place to bring this to a close. G&D Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. BSG knows that the best brewing results come from the best ingredients think outside the puree box with old orchards craft concentrates arrived was built by lo- with love by hospitality professionals and put SS brew advances to work in your brew house if you enjoy this podcast each week we'd love your support go to beer click on the subscribe button And of course, once you're subscribed, you'll gain access to subscriber-exclusive content like the homebrew-scaled recipe for Roaring Tables, Tuba Solo, Hazy IPA, a craft beer and brewing beer of the year. Congratulations again on that. If you're planning a brewery, head on over to breweryworkshop.com for information on our next workshop in Portland, Oregon this July. It's almost sold out. It's a killer lineup of world-class brewers and brewery business specialists will help you discover what you didn't know you didn't know. Beth and Lane, if people want to find Roaring Table or um, offer you some beer trades, <laughs> <laughs> where where do they find you all? Uh,
2: we're on, you know, all of the social channels um, at RoaringTable.com. Um, our website is, you know, RoaringTable.com. And yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, it's we, we don't ship beer. But today was the day of action in Illinois where we wanted everybody to go and fill out a survey. So We can convince our legislators to allow us to sell beer to people in other parts of the country. So, But um, thank you for having us.
0: Well, I'm glad we could finally talk. I wish we could have uh, recorded this in person when I was there, but uh, remote and now is just as good. And of course, you went and, and made us look extra smart by confirming what we already knew and uh, winning a a World Beer Cup medal in the meantime. Congratulations to you all. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Cheers.
2: Thank you. Thanks a lot.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.